0: Let's spend at least a little time talking about the scientific work that you did in the later years of career, of your career, on quasars, X-ray sources, uh, gamma ray bursts, you worked on those too. Would you like to tell us a few words about that?
1: Yes. Um, X-ray observations were uh, were very interesting uh, uh, because The phenomena that we have discussed, especially quasars, black holes, they stand out in the X-ray sky much better than in the optical sky. If you were to count where 3C273 ranks in the optical sky, I've never done it but you start with Sirius and then you go down. My estimate is that it is of the order of a million or so.
0: About that, yes, I think that's right. Mm-hmm. One in a million.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. one in a million. You encounter the first quasar in the x-ray servers, server, uh, 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 in the x-ray uh, collections, uh, everywhere.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, radio galaxies, uh, I, I think quasar's effect dominate even over radio galaxies in X-ray surveys. So you get an enormously rich sample if you do the work. Yeah, That was so attractive that I, uh, 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 in the 80s, uh, at the... Uh, suggestion of, uh, I think, Riccardo Giacconi went to Germany a number of times to assist them in preparing a satellite called ROSET, which in fact worked and which has done beautiful work on uh, making a survey of almost the entire sky. There's somewhere one or two thin sl- strips that are missing, but it is uh, great work. And as I say, that, that has been, and uh, in the meantime, we did uh, uh, work uh, at Palomar on positions, uh, confirming that these X ray sources were actually quasars, etc., or what they were, and, and got a very rich beginning of a sample. Uh, uh, Jim Gunn was also involved in that, and Don Snyder and Jim Gunn by all this work was uh, moved to start his Sloan Survey, which just uh, covers the whole, <laughs> covers enormous areas to enormous depth in a way that is uh, just uh, awesome. Awesome, totally. I awesome. would say. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <It's weird. laughs> and uh, but. The move to the x-rays was was essential to make it efficient. So difficult to find quasars in the optical sky.
0: Why did you get drawn to gamma-ray bursts?
1: Oh, just because they're there. Uh, They were discovered, actually, in I think perhaps 1966, but kept secret because these are, these are observed by satellites to check on whether the Soviets uh, kept to the, uh, kept to the, uh, um, the, test, so, the so the band. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the amazing thing was that as soon as they started the system, the first alarm went off. Thank God, they did react and did not send, uh, send anybody to Moscow to, to uh, let them know. <laughs> uh, and uh, that's because typically, at the sensitivities that we talk about, there is one or two gamma ray bursts in the sky per day, sometimes three. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was, I was intrigued by that. Very difficult. Because their durations uh, go from 20 milliseconds to an hour? An hour or so, yeah. Something like that?
0: Yeah. Mm
1: -hmm. The astounding thing is, that I don't understand at all, is that if you go to much higher energies yet, than can be done from, from those satellites, they, they last much longer. Hmm. I don't understand that.
0: Is that right? I didn't know that.
1: On set and long. Hmm. It, it's, but the count is slow because once in a while you get a photon at these very high energies. I don't understand it. But anyhow, I thought uh, you would use the methods with V over VM, etc. But with gamma uh, I think I think they won.
0: <laughs> okay. <Yeah. laughs> let's let's switch our attention to administration. You've done a lot of different administrative jobs, mm-hmm. ranging from executive officer, which is like department chair for Caltech astronomy. Mm-hmm. Then you headed the division of physics, math and astronomy. astronomy. Yeah. Uh, you were director of the Hale observatories. We probably should explain what that is. That's right. Right. Uh, So, let's review those years and I'll lead into it by reminding everybody that an upshot of something that happened while you were holding those jobs was the the dissolution of the Hale Observatories and the separation of Carnegie from Caltech. So why don't you tell us about that and the events that led up to that.
1: That's right. Yes. Yeah, it had to do with, with appointments to the staff. The, the Hale Observatories um, uh, was uh, essentially uh, Palomar plus uh, the six-meter telescope, also on Palomar. Um, it, was used by the staff, by staff members. Staff members were, were chosen from the Caltech faculty in astronomy and from the Carnegie uh, uh, astronomers. and there was an observatory committee, and the observatory committee took care of all the business. It would. A point further staff members if they were qualified from either one or the other institution it would uh, several times per year invite all the so-called staff members to submit uh, um, proposals for use of the telescopes uh, it would uh, look at the proposals and vote uh, for uh, uh, to assigned time, as it were, and then uh, that, and and that's that's that was the main role. Uh, but one had to be a staff member. Of to
0: to use to use the Palomar 200 inch, you had to be called a staff member in Hale observatories. Uh,
1: yes. Okay. Right.
0: So just to, because you were a Caltech faculty member did not necessarily mean. No. That you could observe with the Palomar 200-inch. Correct. And same for Carnegie.
1: Um, well, Carnegie only, uh, I said yes to the Cal- Caltech thing, because you need to be an astronomer. Yeah. But but all astronomers at at Caltech were staff members, and observing astronomers, of course. Yes. And, uh, at, and, and the Carnegie people obviously there was practically no theory at Carnegie. I think that's Is true. That right yeah. so that situation existed it um, there was an a, there was a proposal uh, uh, curiously uh it came from Caltech, my own institution uh to uh, um, uh appoint somebody who uh it, uh who became controversial because he he was not somebody that uh, one considered, uh, I think in both institutions as a uh, uh, at least by most staff members as somebody who uh, was not of the caliber um, and so it was during that episode that uh, there was considerable unhappiness uh, uh, about what was going on. And um, I cannot remember who made a proposal that that person should be appointed. Mm -hmm. It might have been somebody from from Kani, actually. Mm. So, uh, but anyhow, What happened was that uh, uh, I looked at things and realized that uh, that the situation was not very agreeable uh, in terms of, uh, of the staff membership. There was also the question of difficulties at the, not at the top, but at the administrative level between Jesse Greenstein and uh, the people at Carnegie. Uh, so...
0: Disagreements over... Yeah. All kinds of things? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, so anyhow, I decided uh, uh, somewhat abruptly to, uh, uh, on the 22nd of November, I think, 1979, I wrote a letter to the two presidents indicating that I was proposing that we separate. I wrote that I felt that the that the the combination the combination of the two parts was not more valuable than the than each part separately. Uh, and that I therefore proposed that the two separate and that uh, I would uh, resign on the first of, uh, uh, whatever it was, 1980, uh, as director and would not take part in the discussions about my proposal so so that there was, so that two administrations and the astronomers could decide really what they wanted. Well, needless to say they adopt, they adopted my proposal.
0: Why do you say needless to say?
1: Because you know that is a, <laughs> you know what is the current situation <laughs> <laughs> No that should be said here, yes. so um, uh, the upshot was in any case that uh, that that the separation took place uh, and I. I'm almost certain that if we had been together still, that Caltech would not have two Keck telescopes, that Carnegie would not have the Magellan telescope, that we would not be pursuing together, of course. Sorry, Caltech has... that's the wrong... Thing to say. But I mean, we got into funding, etc., and some cooperative. You know, uh, we work with UC, ma'am, and uh, and of course Cardi worked with many other institutions.
0: Uh, maybe what you're trying to say there is that it was a little too comfortable that relationship, and when it was dissolved, each side had to work harder, yeah, in order to stay yeah. at the forefront yeah. on its yeah.
1: own, and it led to, to a fantastic flowering.
0: I really. think,
1: yeah, I, I I think it it led to a re a reinvigoration of of both places. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was also true that in terms of both institutions, felt that uh, that, yeah, the the Cooperation was something that was going on, and if an initiative was to be taken, now uh, perhaps the other, other one would do it. I was dumbfounded, I was dumbfounded to be sent a proposal for my judgment by the National Scientist, by the National Science Foundation of a proposal written by Babcock to start an observatory in the southern hemisphere.
0: What year was that, roughly?
1: Well, I was still director.
0: I see. <laughs> so, so. Oh, that's very interesting. <laughs> it
1: was amazing.
0: Uh-huh.
1: I sent it back to Jim, whoever. Uh, uh, our man was in the National Science Foundation, and I said, as you can imagine, I'm not, uh, that there, there is some, some prejudice on my, so I will not, uh, I will not judge it. But it uh,
0: so you're, you're telling us this as a barometer of the close degree of coordination and collaboration <laughs> yeah. that was. Ignored.
1: Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Yes.
0: Well, I think you're right that both of these organizations have gone on to do great things since then. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, If you don't mind, let's just sort of look to the future a little bit. Mm -hmm. I have a reflective question here. Uh, There are some major trends in optical infrared astronomy going on right now. One trend is the trend towards huge telescopes which um, are going to be very powerful, but there are going to be fewer of them than there have been in the past. Specifically, there are three big telescope proposals that are building now, and the number of astronomers per telescope to use them will be bigger than we've had to deal with in the past. That's trend number one. Trend number two is the use of adaptive optics on ground-based telescopes to capture at least some of the super resolution that's Mm. been possible with Hubble and in some cases even exceed that. And the last trend for me is the enlargement of the focal planes and the total number of pixels that we can bring to bear on the sky and consequently the huge avalanche of data that come from one of these telescopes every night. So those are three trends I can think of. I invite you to look at those trends, extrapolate going forward, and tell us, with your crystal ball, what's going to happen in astronomy? Is Martin Schmidt of the future going to go to the world's largest telescope and have six nights all to himself to study quasars or whatever? No, no,
1: no. no.
0: So what do you think we'll be doing?
1: It, it, uh, you'll get very few nights. I think the total...
0: Do you think there'll be huge collaborations? How, how, and collaborations?
1: how has, the, how has the, the astronomy, the astronomer po- population of the United States developed, by the way?
0: I looked at that myself maybe 15 years ago and there was an enormous increase from 1960 through 1995. Like factor of five.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Since then, probably less of an increase, but yeah. probably still continuing to yeah. expand. Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. yeah.
0: Uh, definitely more astronomers with time.
1: Yep, yeah. 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 More
0: astronomy departments and more students.
1: Yeah. Point number two was
0: adaptive optics.
1: Adaptive, fantastic, mm-hmm. beautiful, and. Um,
0: some people don't believe in adaptive optics. They don't really think it can do the job or ever really work.
1: Oh, I'm sure it, uh, it can. Why not? You, you the, the the question is how do you how do you how do you gauge the atmosphere? How do you do the uh, the uh, and and. Isn't it true that at Tololo they have all the time a uh, uh, artificial st- star?
0: Well, laser stars on telescopes make artificial stars. Sorry. Laser, you know, the laser yeah. guide star yeah. Yeah. pretty yeah. much solves that problem. Yeah,
1: yeah. No, I think it's fantastic, and I I don't see why why it couldn't work. I thought it has already in some cases done absolutely fantastic, yeah. fantastic work. Mm. And
0: my favorite figure is. That the 30-meter telescope, relative to Hubble, 12 times bigger in diameter, sees 100 times fainter. Yeah. With adaptive optics. Yeah, yeah. Provided it's working.
1: Yeah, (laughs) yeah, but that that that's immensely important because uh, we need that, um, and we cannot always rely on space.
0: No, I think this
1: is a very. Expensive way to go.
0: It's expensive and it depends on the political will.
1: That too, yeah, yeah. And then uh, point number three was?
0: Point number three was the enormous increase in the amount of data. What's that going to do for us?
1: I think it's very good. Uh, The thing I would worry about potentially without being critical of a new generation because that's unfair, about whether the ideas about what you're trying to achieve are of the quality that such data streams warrant.
0: So let's go back to the 50s and early 60s at the beginning of your career. This was maybe 10 years before my own. I think we would share the view that that was an enormously exciting time mm-hmm. because so little was known. Yeah. And because we could see better detectors coming along. Yeah. And the end of the photographic plate, yeah, something better than that, right? So there just seemed to be an endless array of interesting questions. My question to you going forward, on the other hand, we've learned a lot mm-hmm. in the meantime. My question to you, going forward, do you feel that the array of opportunities is as rich as it is in astronomy going forward from now as it was when you were a youthful astronomer?
1: Um, I'll answer that in just a moment. But first I have to take back, I have to take back my mark about space science mm. the way i understand it gaia will be able to essentially get parallaxes for every star in the galaxy except for absorption that is incredible i mean good point so i th- i think let everybody have at it and uh, I don't even know exactly how it is done, but it is done by, by techniques in the focal plane that are incredibly clever. And that it can be extended to such accuracy is just, to me, I, I, I find it incredible.
0: OK, here's my last question. Um, if you were starting your career today, where do you think you would be focusing? What do you think for you would be the most interesting and fruitful areas?
1: That's that's very really difficult to answer because it there's an if in there. And um So I think I, I, I think I cannot answer about myself.
0: Mm.
1: But I, I think i come back almost to my to my answer. Uh, to the previous question, it is, it is the young people who enter the field and see things for the first few years with fresh eyes, um, not influenced by, I don't know what, that, that really may be the next step forward.
0: I like your answer. It's kind of, instead of trying to preview what the future's going to hold, just have faith that the next generation of astronomers yeah. are going to uh, yeah. uncover yeah. questions yeah. that are yeah, just yeah, as exciting yeah, as. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Martin. I think this has been a wonderful time spent with you, and I really appreciate all of the great anecdotes that you've told us that give such a vivid sense to this historical epoch that you pioneered. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Sandy. Thank you.